I do want to say before we get started, though, what a gifted songwriter David is, uh, especially with the, the love songs. I mean, they're beautiful, the songs that he writes for people that are, that are being married, you know. And yesterday was difficult for me to really focus on the words of that song. But knowing Paul and Becca, uh, the, the, the song is perfectly suited for them. So we're, we're blessed to... Uh, have those gifts in our midst. I don't know if you've paid much attention to the title of this series this summer, Pain, Praise, and Peace, A Summer in the Psalms. As you would imagine, I, I hope you would think so, it's intentional. The progression is intentional. Pain, praise, peace. There's order here. And next Sunday, David is going to bring it all together. It's going to make sense hopefully, as he closes out this series on the summer that we're having in the Psalms. We spent time talking about pain, uh, looking at the, the text where, where David and other writers complain to the Lord, actually, in pain, and, and, and lift up their voices in lament. And then we're going to be talking about praise today, and then next week, uh, David will be again showing how it all works together, and how God brings us to a coveted place of peace Peaceful hearts and minds. One of the ways that we get to a place of a peaceful heart and mind is to praise God even in the midst of our pain. So, no matter where you are this morning, this psalm is for you. When you think about the psalms, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I mean, it could be that you think about those places where David and other writers just pour out their hearts in agony to the Lord. But I would imagine most of us think about praise when we think about the Psalms, we just think about lifting up a voice to praise. Psalm 145, uh, the last Psalm of David in the Psalter, the last five, or Psalms 146 to 150 are not accredited to David. But this Psalm leads us to praise our Creator, our Redeemer, and our King. In just a moment, we're going to stand for the reading of the words, but, word, but it's going to be one of those Sundays where you do the reading. Now, David was quite effusive in his praise to the Lord. And these verses are, are really expressive. So as you read one, two, or three verses, and then pass it on and let someone else read the next one to three verses, read it with emotion. Read it with the, with, with the sense in which David wrote it, crying out to the Lord. Read it with passion. You know that I would if I were reading it. And I hope you will jump in and read or else we, we won't make that 1145 debriefing for the, for the workers. We'll just be here a long time. Just before we read this psalm together, let me uh, tell you just a little bit about the, the structure that's quite evident in the Hebrew but, but not in our English translations. This psalm is one of eight acrostic psalms. The first Verse begins with the Hebrew, with a Hebrew word that begins with the letter Aleph, A, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Then the next verse begins with a word that starts with Beit, or the second word in the, a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, all the way through Tav, the, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So on, all the way down. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and if you've already if you've got your psalm open, you may have noticed that there are only 21 verses in here. Verse 13 actually has two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and that's a bunch of stuff that I won't even go into as to why that's the case. But So basically, in English, what we would be saying is that we're praising the Lord from A to Z. 
all the way from the beginning to the end. And, and you know, you think about it, there are certain points in our lives when we feel like praising the Lord, and there are certain points when we very much don't feel like praising the Lord. But we don't get to skip any letters of the alphabet. I mean, in fact, if we throw out, how would you like to throw out some of the letters of the alphabet? I mean, when you play those letter games like Boggle, you know, or something where you've got to form words from the, the letters that are there, you think, ah, oh, if I just had an H right here, you know, but it's not there. What, what, would, what would happen if we threw out certain letters of the alphabet? Everything changes. And if we just throw out parts of our lives that we don't like, everything changes. But when those times come in our lives... The call is for praise anyway, from A to Z. So with everything in us, let's praise the Lord this morning. Stand if you would, and let's read Psalm 145 together. Someone start us off now. Let's bow for prayer. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. His praise on your lips this morning. What is troubling you at this place in your life? Can, can you put it aside for a bit or, or even in the midst of the pain, through the tears? Just praise the Lord this morning. He's worthy of our praise. Father, you are a good God. Righteous in all your ways, kind in all your works. We give you praise this morning. Draw our hearts to you. And in the process, may they be drawn to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you. Be seated. Praise to and for the Lord came naturally to David, it seems. It's just, just always praising the Lord. The sweet psalmist of Israel, as he was known, was always ready to lift his heart, his hands, and his voice to the Lord in praise. My mother was very much like that. I mean, I can still recall her, still see her very much just, as she did all the time, just saying, praise the Lord. And that's the way she did it. Praise the Lord, right, Tony? Praise the Lord. She'd throw those hands up and they'd come back down. But she did it it, it, it just at a moment's notice. And little things, she saw God's goodness and mercy and little things and big things alike. She loved the Lord and she loved to praise Him. My mother, like David, had a very close personal relationship with the Lord. I think the thing that is so amazing about David's relationship with the Lord was that he had this intimate uh, contact with God even though he lived a thousand years before Jesus came to this earth. And Jesus in his death and resurrection really opened up access to us when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. That's when access really opened up to God. That's when we were able to come, because of that, become boldly before the throne of grace and yet always recognizing God in His holiness and coming in humility. But but we can only come boldly because of what Jesus did, because of His blood, His shed blood for us. Um, most of the time in the Old Testament, when, when when God was dealing directly with people, it was with prophets who had to give what was often bad news to the people. Now, sometimes they gave great words of hope and restoration, but it was usually after a warning had been given. David did some of that in the Psalms, and we've seen how he complained to the Lord in the Psalms of Lament, like Psalm 13, but praise never seemed to be far from David's lips. Most of the time when he addressed the Lord, he would use very personal and intimate terms like, my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. David would call the Lord by those names. But in Psalm 145, he broadens his praise to give glory to God's greatness. It's not so much some, sometimes in this psalm the personal relationship, although it's very much there, but it's this, just God's greatness for who He is. And He joins with all creatures and all generations in lifting praise to the Lord, exalting the Lord. One generation shall commend your praise to another. That's what we were doing this morning, wasn't it? With our, our, our child dedication. We were saying that one generation needs to commend the Lord's praise to another. I know you know this, but we're only one generation away. One generation away of Christianity being mostly in textbooks in American history. And it probably wouldn't be treated very well. It is imperative that we teach our young. That's why what we were doing this week was so important. That's why what's going on in the back right now is so crucial and why you can, you ought to be a part. It's a privilege, not just a, 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 a need of the church and a duty that somebody's got to do. It's a privilege to be back there commending the Lord's greatness from one generation to the next. We ought to be glad to do that and be a part of it. When David spoke of God's mighty acts, he had 
He just he had no idea just how great and mighty God's acts would become when he sent his son Jesus to the cross for our salvation. Verses 4 through 7 are, are speaking mostly about God's saving interventions. Verse 7 particularly speaks of God's goodness or his kindness and of his righteousness. It would be impossible for God to be both righteous and kind apart from Jesus, at least as we understand God in the way that he has revealed himself to us. It was the way that he could be both righteous and kind, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. God's holiness had to be satisfied, and Jesus' payment on the cross appeased his righteous wrath and made life possible for us. Verse 8 recalls the very thing that God said to Moses about himself in Exodus 34, 7. And these words, in fact, are found over and over and over in the Old Testament. We think of this as kind of a New Testament thing, but God revealed himself this way over and over in the Old Testament. Aren't you grateful That God is gracious and that He's merciful and that He doesn't flash angry like you and I tend to do. He's slow to anger. In fact, God's mercy, we are told in verse 9, extends to all who live on the earth. Now, they're not aware of it many times, of His graciousness and His mercy, but it's still true. God's grace and mercy extends to all the earth. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Or as the KJV says, all thy works shall praise thee. And then we will sing in just a few moments before communion. All thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Blessed Trinity. God's works cannot knowingly praise the Lord. This material creation cannot knowingly praise the Lord. And he can make them do it, just like Jesus told them the rocks and the stones would cry out. Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. If the people didn't cry out, then the rocks would. God could make them do it. But only we can do it knowingly as we are current, as the universe is currently constituted. Only we can knowingly praise the Lord. God is going to get his glory. But we ought to be participants in acknowledging His greatness and praising Him and glorifying Him. Well, whereas verses 4 to 7 praised God as Redeemer, verses 11 through 13 praise Him as Ruler. The word kingdom is used four times in these four verses. God's kingdom will last forever. And thank God, since that's the case, that He is a good King. He is, in fact, Jesus. Verses 13b to 16 tell of the Lord's complete care for His children. And that care is true right now, but it's nothing like it will be one day when all the sin and all the the evil in our world is gone. We have a taste of it now, but there will be a day when universal health care that covers every single part of our being and doesn't cost the taxpayers anything because there will be no taxpayers. All of that is going to be realized. And we ain't going to get it right now. There's no way we're going to get it right. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do stuff. 
But it's always going to be a dim picture of what God intended in the first place and what will be as a reality. And when you recognize that, it's cause for praise to the Lord no matter what's happening today. No matter. In the meantime, until that day when we are enjoying the Lord's perfect and complete care. His care is, is perfect and complete now, but you know what I mean when, when all the, the pain is done away with. Until that time, our call in charge is first to acknowledge Jesus' kingship in our lives personally. To say, you are the ruler of my life. You are the king of my life. And then to be Jesus to those who are in need. And to give them a taste of what it is that, the, that it means that the Lord cares for them. Just make sure that you remember when you're reaching out to others that it's the gospel that saves both you and them. It is not your good works. Now, we're called to good works. God created good works for us. But when we go, give them these wonderful things that they might receive the bread that really matters. They went all over in John 6 looking for Jesus. Give us more. Give me, give me, give me some more of that bread. He said, it's not the bread you need. The reason I hid myself from you is because you were seeking for the wrong kind of bread. So, give the bread. Absolutely we need to be doing that. All we can, but give them the bread that nourishes and ultimately saves the soul as well as the body. But the bread is important, isn't it? God cares for all of us in meeting our needs. And as He gives to us, so must we give freely to others. Verse 17 is an incredible verse when you realize all that is being said. And, and it's already been stated in other ways in this psalm already. God is righteous and we are not. He has every right to treat us with wrath all the time. Yet He is kind in all His works. Is it possible to be really righteous and really kind at the same time? Most of us have the tendency to get a little self Righteous when the good stuff starts happening, don't we? We start doing good works and then wham, we're better than everybody else. Just like that. Now, I, I, I struggle with this in a big way. There are times in my life where I'm really focused on disciplines and, and, and spending time and my focus is on the Lord much better than it is at other times. I get distracted either by good things or, or, or just a waste of time kind of things. It's, I, I can get distracted by, I'm ADD, ADHD, uh, anything with D in it, that's what I am. And, and that's not an excuse, it's just an explanation as, as to how my mind goes. But, but when those times when God draws me back and I, and I start focusing, I say, okay, that's what I'm going to do, this, this, and this. Then, I start feeling pretty good about where I am in my walk with the Lord. And I start looking at you poor souls that aren't quite as in the place that I am. And I want, you know, to say, look, if you want to 
if you want things to go better, just do what I'm doing. Of course, no mention that I wasn't doing it last week. I am now. That's the thing. That's the point. I'm like my granddaughter, Laurel, who sometimes teaches her little brother, Judge, about life with a weariness in her soul. No, Judge, that's not the way you tie your shoe. Let me tell you how to tie your shoe. It's funny to watch. It's not funny when it's in me. You know what the point of all this is, though? Not how pitiful I am or we are. But if we're called to be godly, if we're called to be holy, we can be both righteous and kind at the same time. Why would God call us over and over to godliness, to holiness, if that were not the case? Here's the deal, though. God is kind out of His goodness. I have no goodness of my own. Now, we've talked about the fact that that lost people do good things, many times do good things, because they are created in the image of God. Any goodness in me comes from God. So if I want to be righteous and kind, I have to be humble so that the goodness of Jesus will flow through me. That's the key, isn't it? I'm humble and God's goodness, Jesus' goodness flows through me. And I am both righteous, I have high expectations, but I'm kind. I'm humble at the same time, recognizing who I am apart from Him. Isn't verse 18 an encouragement? The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. To call on God in truth means, once again, to be humble before Him and acknowledging our sin to a holy God and then to receive His truth and strength in order that we might face what is before Him. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. So, and have you not discovered, I have, that when I am in a very difficult place in my life, it seems like the Lord is much quicker to answer the call when I lift it up to Him. I don't know, maybe that's just because I'm calling in desperation and I'm aware of His presence so quickly. But I sense that when the difficulties are the greatest and when Satan is attacking the most and my flesh is bothering me the most and I call out to the Lord, He is quick to answer. He's near to those. But I think probably one of the reasons is because I'm in a time of need at that point and I recognize I, I, I don't have it in me to get through this, you're the one who's going to have to do it. In other words, I'm humble before the Lord. And I got nothing here. But He's got everything. And He's near to those who call on Him in truth. Verse 19 is true. But it doesn't mean that God will give us just anything that we want. It's more that when we seek Him and humble ourselves before Him, He will put in us within our hearts the right desires, and then He will meet them. And, And that might not be too exciting to some of you say, well, look, I want what I want. No, you just want, ultimately, we want 
the things that we want, but how much better if God has put those desires in our hearts and then He fulfills them. Because if we're just pursuing the things that seem important to us, then ultimately we're going to be disappointed because it all goes away in the end except what's from God. Verse 20 reminds us that there is a shadow in this life and the wicked provide it. The evil one provides it. Sometimes it's a dark, menacing cloud, but we need to remember, as we've talked about already, this cloud is going to pass. One day, one day, it will all be made right and it will be okay. No wonder David ends his psalm with the words, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Let's stand together and sing holy, holy, holy.